2: of Ice and Fire. Hello there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in today for another Quiz of Ice and Fire. I'm Lady Guinevere, and I'm bringing you our 16th quiz. And as always, thanks to our generous patrons for their continued support, which has unlocked this bonus feature for everyone. And speaking of unlocking features, I want to mention that thanks to our patrons helping us meet our goals, we've just released our second patron-exclusive episode, all about the Arthurian influences in A Song of Ice and Fire. And so if you're interested in that, or in our other Patreon-exclusive episode on the Varamir Prologue, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash radioestros to find out how you can join us and gain access to two bonus episodes, among other perks of being a supporter. And now I'm happy to welcome our guest hosts for this quiz, returning to our airwaves once again, Jeff, otherwise known as Brendan B Fish, and joining us for the first time, Emmett, otherwise known as Pork Quentin, collectively hosts of the Not a Cast podcast, a weekly chapter by chapter or Song of Ice and Fire reread. Welcome back, Jeff, and welcome to Radio Astros, Emmett.
0: Hey, everyone. It's been a while since I've gotten to chat with you guys. I think the last one we did was it Aegon or was it The Battle of Fire? I can't remember which one it was, but it was a. But good three years now, I think now since we last did our our last record episode together.
2: It has been a while. Um, I think it was Aegon. Okay, it was that one came a little bit after Battle of Fire. I think you're I right. Think. Yeah, uh, I am not maybe the best um, <laughs> <laughs> the best archivist here, but yeah, no, it has been quite a while, and so we are delighted to have you back. And of course, you have. Um, Moved on to hosting your own podcast with Emmett Poor client. My husband, yes. Thank you for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. I'm a big fan. Exactly. <laughs> Jeff's husband. I'm a big fan of uh, Radio <laughs> Westeros and your guys is just theory crafting and work in the community in general. Uh-huh, thank so you. I'm happy to be here okay. and to, to catch up with Jeff because we're an internal competition that <laughs> will never end.
0: You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, we, were, we were really uh, lucky to have you guys that kind of blazed the path before us. Um, we always, uh, Emma and I have said this before about a few other folks uh, that we've we've interacted with in the past. We feel like us and we're doing our podcast now, we're in our second year, um, right? We're in our second year, right? We're in our year two that we feel like we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, we uh, feel like you guys and some of our other friends at History westros Westeros and, and other podcasts, Boiled Leather Audio Hour and other ones that I'm, I'm not mentioning off the top of my head right now, we do feel like we're standing on the shoulder of giants and you guys are, Uh, among the tallest of the giants that we get to, to, whose shoulders, whose lovely, well-developed shoulders, muscular shoulders, we stand on every single week when we do our podcast. So thanks for having us on, it's a a blast to be here.
2: Yeah, thank you, thank you. Okay, so let's get started with this episode. If uh, you folks listening are keeping score, now's the time to get your pen and paper or however you keep track, uh, handy. We've got 15 questions as usual. Today's topic, which goes along with uh, the series of regular episodes that we've just completed, is Dunkin' Egg. So all the answers can be found in those three stories. So uh, brush up on your Dunkin' Egg. Pause right now if you have to and brush up on Dunkin' Egg. Uh, Hopefully you've listened to the episodes and it's all relatively fresh in your mind. Get ready. Let's see how many you can score Remember that we love to hear your scores across social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, wherever you reach us regularly, let us know. And let's get started now. We're going to go over to you, Jeff, for question one.
0: All right. Our first question is, who captured Dunk's eye and earned a permanent place in his thoughts and memories with a puppet show that led to the major conflict in the hedge night?
2: Yes, so? Who is that puppeteer uh, from The Hedge Knight? Uh, forever in Dunk's thoughts. On to question two. What is the name of the ancient seat of House Osgrey, which has been in the hands of House Weber since shortly after Aegon's conquest? This castle takes its name from the feature that provides its best defense.
1: Yes, this castle is prominently featured in the second Dug and Egg story, The Sworn Sword. So, what's the name of that castle? Question number three. Is it Quaithe? Quaith? Quaith? Yes. Is that the castle's name? Castle's name, name is Quaithe. Jeff, you're not supposed to reveal these things. <laughs> Damn it. Breaking the rules already. Question number three. What hedge knight bore a snail upon his shield and defeated Duncan the White Wall's tourney, later revealing that he had been paid by someone to kill him, but had failed intentionally because the offered price wasn't enough?
0: <laughs> hmm. That's a good question. I, I know the answer because I'm looking at it in the document. But I don't think I would be able to get this one just off the top of my head. You know, being a hashtag expert in the Song of Ice and Fire, you know, I don't think I could get this, this question. Necessarily. I'm also not fantastic at trivia. Um, so don't slight me for your trivia quiz team if you end up doing a Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire uh, trivia night because you would, you would fail. Fake fans, Fake fan. That's right. That's me. The fakest <laughs> of fans. So our fourth question is... The Hedge Knight, who appeared at White Walls and mysteriously vanished just before the Royal Army showed up to break up the party, may have been more than he appeared. For half a point each, the name he went by at the wedding, and as possible, True Identity. This 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 is Quaith again, right? Emmet? If I'm not mistaken, this the answer this is Quaithe.
1: It's it's always gonna be Quaith, okay, Jeff. Good. But, you know, that's that's for yes. them to figure out. Okay, good, excellent.
2: <laughs> Thanks for ruining all the questions, Jeff.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> what we okay. do best.
2: Okay, so a hedge knight with a secret identity from the mystery knight who vanished right before the army showed up. Okay. Question five. Over the course of three stories, we see Duncan Egg riding a number of different horses and a donkey for half a point each. Give us the names of two of their mounts.
1: You know, I think Chloe and Eliana from Girls from <laughs> Canada would do great at this because their Patreon team is... Patreon tiers are named after... I the thought
2: of, of them when we wrote that, so...
1: So I think they would get extra credit on this Absolutely. particular question, so... For half a point each, get two of those uh, multiple mounts over the course of Duncan Egg. Question number six: This town, which appears in Arya's POV in the main series, as well as having a prominent role in the history of Robert's Rebellion, is the setting for the opening scene of the Mystery Night, where Duncan Egg see the head of a hunchbacked Septon who had been preaching against bloodraven on a spike.
0: Yeah, so I think that's going to be an interesting question. So you're looking for that town that you that the hunchback Septon had been. Beheaded and whose head was placed on a spike by Bloodraven. Nice guy there. And our seventh question is, what is the location in the reach that Dunk travels to in the hedge night to take part in a young maid's name day tourney? So what is that location? It's not Quaith this time. So you have to come up with a different guess.
2: No, I'm not sure if we can fit these <laughs> Quaith into these location ones. We could. I don't know how that works. Maybe. Uh, okay, so the uh, basically the location of the tourney in the hedge knight. Now, question eight is a castle famed for its walls of white stone imported from the Vale and weirwood beams in its roof, which was built using its owner's fortune made from cows. What is the name of this castle?
1: I feel like there's an edgy joke to be made in owner's fortune made from cows, like the name of it is McDonald's, but. I don't, I'm not quite clever enough to turn that into an actual joke, so I'll just leave the components of the joke there for you to enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> if you can actually craft the joke out of that, please let us know. But yes, what is what is the name of that castle crafted from white stone from the Vale and weirwood beams in the roof? On to our ninth question, which Targaryen prince assaulted a puppeteer setting into motion the climactic trial of the hedge knight?
2: This is Every one of these quiz episodes has what we call the softball, and this might be it.
0: Yes, that I believe it is the softball of this quiz. So our 10th question is, in the mystery night, Lord Butterwell proudly displays his family's dragon egg until it disappears the morning after his wedding. Near the end of the story, Dunk figures out who stole it and how. For half a point each, who stole the egg? And how did they enter Lord Butterwell's heavily guarded chamber? Now, this one is interesting because you're going to have to read some of the subtext for the Mystery Knight to kind of get at least half of the answer. Although it is made relatively clear at the end of the story. So uh, that's your hint, I guess. Uh, It's
2: question 11. This lovely lady's temperament is as fiery as her hair, while she is as diminutive as Dunk is tall. At the end of The Sword Sword, Dunk takes a souvenir to remember her by. What is her name?
1: Clearly it's Egret, I don't know why this is up for debate. The description seems pretty plain to me. But now with, within the context of Dunk and Egg, who is the character being described here? On to our twelfth question. One of the first characters we see in The Hedge Knight, this brown-haired lordling passed out in a puddle of wine soon turns out to be more than he appeared. What is his true identity? I think this one's probably me, if we're being honest with ourselves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> brown-haired lordling, that's mm. you? Passed out in the puddle of wine. Puddle of wine, so. yes. Yeah, oh, great. okay, that part, yeah. <laughs> so that is a uh, another, I would say this another kind of gimme, so you have to read the about six paragraphs into The Hedge Knight to find out the answer to that one. Our 13th question is, what future career path is heavily foreshadowed in Sir Duncan's story as related in the stories we have to date?
2: Okay, so however you figure it out, what is the future career path of Sir Duncan the Tall? Question 14. What is the stated destination of Duncan Egg at the end of the sword Sword, kind of beginning of the mystery night? Where do they say they're going?
1: This is, this is what we're waiting for along the lines of waiting for the Winds of Winter in the main cast. What's, what's this, this next big story going to be for Duncan Egg that we will hopefully one day see? Where were they going? And finally here, question number 15. Sir Eustace Osprey spends some time reminiscing about the past glories of his house. What is the name of the member of House Osprey who famously turned back an invading Lannister army at the border of the Reach? He's referred to by his full name and a nickname. We'll accept either.
2: Ha! Okay, so you thought we were going easy on you with those other questions. But uh, here we go. You got two chances to come up with this guy's name. Uh, And that was question 15. So we are going to take a brief break. And we'll be back in just a minute. With your answers.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
0: thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, you get 30, you get 20, 20, 20, you get 20, 20 you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So
1: give it a try at mintmobile.com mintmobile.com/slash-switch.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: And we're back. And once again, we will go over to Jeff. We're going to repeat the questions and give you the answers. So over to you, Jeff.
0: All right. So who captured Dunk's eye and earned a permanent place in his thoughts and memories with a puppet show that led to a major conflict in the Hedge Knight? If you guessed Quaithe, you're wrong. The answer is actually Tancel Too Tall. Remember her Tancel Too Tall, the puppeteer?
2: Yep, that's Tanzel Tutal. When Dunk arrived at the Silk Town at Ashford Meadow, he found that there were puppeteers there among the many entertainers, and here is his first glimpse of the girl Tanzel. It says, "As he ate, he watched the painted wooden dragon knight battle a painted wooden dragon. The puppeteer who worked the dragon was good to watch too. A tall drink of water with the olive skin and black hair of Dorn. Oh, Tanzel, he just." Sweet on her right from the start, and we weren't kidding when we said he's uh, got her always in his thoughts. So, uh, question two, we recall, had to do with the ancient seat of House Osgree, which unfortunately has been in the hands of House Weber since shortly after Aegon's conquest. And the castle, of course, is the site of much of the action in the Sorn Sword is Coldmoat.
1: In the sworn sword, Sir Eustace Osbri tells Dunk about the history of his house and how the castle ended up in the hands of its current owner's house Webber. After the field of fire, Highgarden passed from kings to stewards, and the Osbries dwindled and diminished. Twas Egan's son, King Megor, who took Coldmoat from us. When Lord Ormond Osry spoke up, spoke out against the suppression of the stars and swords, as the poor fellows and the warrior sons were called, there is a lion carved into the stone above the gates of Coldmoat. My father showed it to me the first time he took me with him to call on Old Reynard Webber
2: sour crepes
1: Precisely. <laughs> now that is the great emotional core of that of that story is the that longing for the the glory days of House Osgry, and you know simultaneously the glory days of House Blackfire.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, question number 3 was what was who was the hedge knight with the snail on his shield who defeated Dunk? at the tourney, but later revealed he'd been paid to kill Dunk and had uh, failed intentionally because the offered price was not enough, not enough of a bribe to get him to kill. And that hedge knight was Sir Uthor Underleaf.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's the one I probably wouldn't have gotten. I don't, I didn't remember that name. Um, Again, it's, I think the last time I read The Sworn Sword was probably when the Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, Knight of the Seven Kingdoms came out. So yeah, it's a good question. If you got that, props to you, I wouldn't have gotten that shit. Here's the passage from the Mystery Knight, where he tells Dunk the truth of the outcome of their tilt. Are you so blind you cannot see your danger? Do you know why I I struck you where I did, sir? He got to his feet and touched Dunk lightly in the center of his chest. A coronal placed here would have put you on the ground just as quickly. The head is a smaller target. The blow is more difficult to land, though more likely to be mortal. I was paid to strike you there. Six dragons tendered in advance, four more promised when you died. A paltry sum for a knight's life. Be thankful for that. Had more been offered, I might have put the point of my lance through your eye slit. Yes, indeed. And then our fourth question Was this hedge knight who appeared at White Walls and mysteriously vanished just before the royal army showed up to break up the party? May have been more than he appeared for half a point each. The name he went by at the wedding and his possible true identity. Last chance to get this easy question correct. The answer is. Maynard Plum slash Bloodraven, Brendan Rivers.
2: Yep, that's right. We hope you got that one. Um, there are many clues that Maynard Plum is Blood Raven. Check out our Mystery Night episode for a full rundown. Here is one of the more revealing passages. It says, through the rain, all Dunk could make out was a hooded shape and a single white eye. It was only when the man came forward that the shadowed face beneath the cowl took on the familiar features of Sir Maynard Plum. The pale eye no more than the moonstone brooch that pinned his cloak at the shoulder. Of course, that language of the single eye and the paleness and that moonstone brooch, which might be part of his glamour, are your key hints there. And along with this one, indicating that Sir Maynard conveniently disappeared just before Lord Bloodraven arrived. They had looked for Sir Maynard to join them, but Plum had melted away sometime during the night. So anyways, we hope you got that one. We didn't trick you. Uh, Now we'll move on to question five. Over the course of the three stories, we see Duncan Egg riding a number of different horses and a donkey for a half a point each. Name two of their mounts. So we had five options, and you can name any two of them, any combination of Maester, Thunder, Sweetfoot, Chestnut, or Rain.
1: Thunder, of course, was Dunk's warhorse. Sweetfoot is the palfrey he sells in the Hedge Knight to finance his armor. Chestnut is the older stot he rode during his years as Sir Arlen squire, who died on their journey to Dorne. Maester was given to them by ex brother Eamon, you may know from the main series, gifted to them in Old Town. And Rain is the horse given to Egg by Lady Rahean Weber. Honestly, the only one of those I probably would have guessed is Maester, just because I think I remember how adorable it is that Egg's daughter calls Eamon Uncle Maester. Moving on to question six, that was the name of a town that appears in Arya's POV in the main series and has a prominent role in in the opening scene of the Mystery Night, where Duncan Egg see the head of a septum who was preaching against Blood Raven. And that town is, of course, Stony Sept, which we see in A Storm of Swords Aria 5, when she's brought there by the Brotherhood Without Banners, she visits the Peach, and it also shows up prominently in the memories of John Connington, who who fought a crucial, lost a crucial battle there, I should say, during Robert's Rebellion.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got the first words from the Mystery Night, which is a light summer rain was falling as Duncan Egg took their leave of Stony Sept and, you know, they're pretty paranoid about Lord Bloodraven in his many eyes. So, Dunk is pretty happy to leave this place once he realizes that the head on the spike over the gate is the Septon they had heard preaching treason against the hand a few days previously. So, again, Bloodraven is one of those characters that's intentionally framed to be morally ambiguous in the story. You understand his motivations, his rationales, but at the same time, when he's kind of killing people for speaking their mind and, you know, stringing their bodies up, you're kind of like... I don't know. That might not be for the best. I don't know. I'm 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 not here to judge, though. I'm not here to judge Lord Bloodraven. That not that he's listening or watching right now, right, right.
2: <laughs> Just in case. I, I, I'm
0: a, I'm a supporter of the Red Dragon, <laughs> of course, of course, of course, of course. So our seventh question was: What is the location in the Reach that Dunk travels to in the Hedge Knight to take part in a young maid's name day tourney? The answer to this question, of course, is Ashford Meadow. So, Ashford Meadow, the tourney at Ashford. This is one of those gimme ones we referenced earlier. And it is a fantastic little location, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in just in terms of like narrative speaking, it is the first time in the narrative that we travel to the Reach in both the main series and the Duncan Egg. Well, obviously, the first time in the Duncan Egg Novels, but I believe we don't actually journey to the Reach until in the main series until Feast for Crows, I want to say.
1: We get one chapter there in *A Clash of Kings*. Renly's, Renly's tourney is at is at Bitterbridge, but other other than that, yeah.
2: The cat, cat and Renly, yeah. Um, but yeah, but those were released at the same time uh, in the same year and written kind of contiguously. So I think I think you're you're right on that. It's very possible this was George's first dip into the reach. So. Ashford Meadow, again, in the reach. Here is a description of the place when Dunk first arrives at the tourney there. It says, the shadows of the afternoon were growing long when Dunk reigned up on the edge of broad Ashford Meadow. Threescore pavilions had already risen on the grassy field. Some were small, some large, some square, some round, some of sailcloth, some of linen, some of silk. But all were brightly colored with long banners streaming from their center poles, brighter than a field of wildflowers with rich reds and sunny yellows, countless shades of green and blue, deep blacks and grays and purples. I love that quote. I love the descriptiveness of it. And actually, since you mentioned the the cat at Bitterbridge, I think that there's a lot of similarities between what Cat sees when she gets to Bitterbridge and this here, what Dunk sees when he gets to Ashford.
1: Yeah, the riot of colors, Renly's got the rainbow guard and all the bright banners he loves so much, for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's interesting to think about George writing those two things kind of contiguously as as they were released in the same year. So Um, we're going to move on to question eight, which was another location question. Is the castle famed for its walls of white stone imported from the Vale and its weirwood roof rafters? Built using the fortune of its owners, which had been made from cows. What is the name of this place? Uh, white Walls. Yes, indeed. White Walls
1: was built by Lord Ambrose Butterwell's grandfather while he was hand to Egan IV. White Walls was famously extravagant and due to the events of the Mystery Night almost as famously short-lived. So it's a, a white elephant befitting its color. Here's a description of the place. White walls was almost new as castles went, having been raised a mere 40 years ago by the grandsire of its present lord. The small folk hereabouts called it the milk house, for its walls and keeps and towers were made of finely dressed white stone, quarried in the vale and brought over the mountains at great expense. Inside were floors and pillars of milky white marble veined with gold. The rafters overhead were carved from the bone pale trunks of weirwoods. So, question nine, which Targaryen prince was it who assaulted Tancel Tutal? Who we were talking about in question one, setting into motion the big trial in the Hedge Knight? And that, of course, is Arian Targaryen, the Bright Prince, Arian, Bright, prince, bright Flang, everyone's least favorite Targaryen. I think I'll just make that judgment.
0: I agree with that. And, you know, it's it's really cool. If you guys listen to A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, the audiobook, it is voiced by Harry Lloyd, who does? Who reverts back to his Viserys Targaryen from season one of Game of Thrones whenever Aryan and Bright flame. Yes.
2: do it? You guys, I'm,
0: I'm serious. If, if you if you've never listened to the audiobook, I do most of the time. I don't recommend audiobooks, although I really, I mean, I, I'll go against some. There's some people that don't like Royce and you're wrong and ugly, and you should like ask for forgiveness. Um, he's great, but I think Harry Lloyd is really, really good because he becomes. Sarahs Targaryen in the form of Aryan Brightflame in the audiobook for The Hedge Knight, and it is fantastic. Really, really strongly recommend you guys get a, uh, get a piece of that if you could. So, the passage from The Hedge Knight is, In the midst of it all stood Prince Aryan resplendent in a red velvet doublet with long dagged sleeves, twisting Tansil's arm in both hands. She was on her knees, pleading with him. Aryan ignored her. He forced her a hand and seized one eye of her fingers. Dunk stood there stupidly, not quite believing what he saw. Then he heard a crack... And Tencel screamed. So that is a uh, that is our Aryan, our, our very, very bright prince. Very, very good. You know, bright equals good, right, in the story, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, Dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Gwyn speaks the truth, as always. So our 10th question is, in the mystery night, Lord Butterwell proudly displays his family's dragon egg until it disappears the morning after his wedding. Near the end of the story, Dunn figures out who stole it and how. For half a point each, who stole the dragon egg and how did they enter Lord Butterwell's heavily guarded chamber? So as we find out at the end of the mystery night, it is the dwarves who are likely in the employ of Lord Brynden Rivers. That is the blood raven who steal up through the privy shaft to come in and steal Lord Butterwell's egg. So that is actually blood raven and it's a really cool uh, little scene there. I think it's really interesting that we have Bloodraven employing kind of the outcasts of society as his kind of spies. I think that's really a cool motif we have going for Bloodraven. Um, very similar, as we come to find out in A Game of Thrones. Well, more likely, more actually more in The Dance of Dragons, but very similar to what Varys does in employing children. Especially those without with their tongues cut out, but able to read and write, people who wouldn't be overlooked by the nobility of Westeros. So I think it's a really interesting uh Varas like touch that we have seeing that we're seeing in Bloodraven. Uh
2: yes, I definitely agree with you about all of that. And um, you know, it was actually Bloodraven himself who answered egg's question about how on earth the dragon's egg had been stolen telling him were i to guess i'd say someone climbed up inside the privy shaft but then it was detective dunk who remembered the privy-like smell that he'd noticed emanating from one of the performing dwarfs and put two and two together when egg objected that the privy shaft was too small blood raven said maybe it was a child and dunk said or a dwarf A Thousand Eyes in One. Why shouldn't some of them belong to a troop of comic dwarfs? Indeed. So uh, that was a nice way for Bloodraven to repo that dragon's egg, which probably never should have left (laughs) the possession of House Targaryen. Um, In addition to putting down a rebellion or a potential rebellion, uh, he got that precious piece of uh, of family treasure back, so I like it. Question eleven now had to do with a lady, another lady who is always in Dunk's thoughts. Uh, this one is a redhead that Dunk took a souvenir from at the end of the Sorn sword. Who is she? And please tell me that we all knew this was Rohan Weber. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you, that's one of the most romantic moments in the Song of Ice and Fire is the, uh, the her granting Dunk a piece for her. hair. I mean, I, I, people talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, as Emma and I have talked about in the podcast, as being very grimdark and anything can happen, and it's so dark and nihilistic. But it can't be both nihilistic and dark, as well as having Rohan Weber giving uh, Dunk some of her red hair as a uh, souvenir slash gift to remember her by. So there is a romantic undertone that Martin infuses in Duncan makes toys as well as in A Song of Ice and Fire proper.
1: Yes, indeed. Even though she has to, of course, marry Sir Eustace to prevent her castle from falling to the hands of her greedy cousin. But she gets that lock of hair and feels very much like the, the Galadriel-Gimli connection from The Lord of the Rings.
2: Except that it's her whole braid. And I just wonder, how on earth did she explain that to Sir Eustace? Like, she comes back with, like, a brand new short haircut. And he's like, what happened? You
1: know? He got caught in a branch. <laughs> what's he going to do, do about it so moving on to question 12 one of the first characters we see in the Hedge Knights this brown haired lordling who is passed out in a puddle of wine but has a secret identity and turns out to be Prince Daron Targaryen, Daron the Drunkard as he is known one of the dreamers of House Targaryen uh, who is the eldest son of Prince, later King Mykar and the older brother of Egg. Was his squire at the beginning of the Hedge Knight, but he abandons, so he runs off with it. With runs off with Dunk.
0: Absolutely, we have that quote from the Hedge Knight, which is a young lordling in a fine damask mantle was passed out at one table, snoring softly into a pool of spilled wine. So that is Prince Darren Targaryen, Darren the drunkard, Darren the dreamer too. So. Uh, his dreams always come true, and as we know from the Hedge Knight, his dream did come true, of course. Be- but of course, because it's George R. R. and a Song of Ice and Fire, it came true in a very particular way—not necessarily the way that perhaps the participants in the tourney thought was going to uh, was going to unfold. So, our 13th question was What future career path is heavily foreshadowed in Sir Duncan's story as it's related in the stories we have to date? So, as you guys all well know, if you've read The World of Ice and Fire, you know that Sir Duncan the Tall becomes a member of the King's Guard and actually becomes Lord Commander of the King's Guard. So, both answers are acceptable. Both of them are foreshadowed in the first three books, first in the first three novellas in Duncan Ake. So hand a little hand clap too you. If you've read The World of Ice and Fire, you really should. Everyone really should, or at least at least buy it for the pretty pictures, at least at the very least. Because there's a fantastic picture of Sir Duncan the Tall when he's Lord Commander of the King's Guard, which I will not spoil for you if you have not read it, but you should read it. You really should.
2: Yes. Uh, yep. So just there's so many. Uh, these are these things are not so much hints, because like you said, Jeff, we know that he's going to be the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Or we assume that most people who are reading *Duncan Egg already have that knowledge. So they're more like clever little nods. Sir Eustace Osgrey gives Dunk a white cloak in the Soren sword. Uh, John the Fiddler dreams of him being in Kingsguard White in the Mystery Knight. But then Dunk says things and thinks things like, if all the other knights in the realm should die, I'd be Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. And you have as much chance of wearing a white cloak as I do, is what he said to uh, Glendon Ball. So it's all laid out pretty clearly. Uh, what we actually know is in store for him. Uh, I just think they're clever little you know, nods for the reader, uh, which is one of the wonderful things about Duncan Egg. There's lots of that sort of thing. So, question 14 was, what is the stated destination of Duncan Egg at the end of the Sorn Sword and beginning of the Mystery Night? I talked about this a lot in uh, the Soren Sword episode. At the, at the end, we talked about the story that one day, if we're very lucky, uh, we will have that's going to take place at this location. Um, and The reasons why Dunk wants to go to this particular place are actually turn out to be uh, very sweet and personal. So they are heading for the Wall, or we'll also accept uh, Winterfell to take service with Baron Stark.
1: Indeed, Dunk tells Maynard Plum, Egg and I have a long journey before us. We're headed north to Winterfell. Lord Baron Stark is gathering swords to drive the Krakens from his shores for good. So at one point, the storyline was supposed to be contained within the story tentatively titled The She-Wolves of Winterfell. That's been tabled and shifted around a couple times, but it's supposed to involve some level of these dark succession struggles in Winterfell that have been alluded to before. And maybe it involves uh, possible liaisons for Dunk, as, as Bran might have seen in a certain flashback in A Dance with Dragons. But uh, as Lady Gwen says, she's talked about that at length before, and that's, uh, that's always a fun topic for the fandom to, to dissect as where that storyline might be headed. So, finally, we have question number 15, which was about uh, Sir Eustace reminiscing about the past glories of his house. And what was the name of that one member of House Osgrey who's famously turned back an in invading Lannister army? He has both a full name and a nickname, either one, one of which is acceptable. His nickname is The Little Lion, and his actual given name is Wilbert Osgrey.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, fun little... Epithet as granted towards Wilbert Osgray. and that is a question that I would not have gotten if I were taking this quiz. Again, I suck at trivia. Don't ever put me on your trivia team because uh, my uh, I would suck. Uh, there is a fantastic quote there where we have uh, Osgray, where we have that little line being explained, which is quote: "Yet it happened that while King Giles was away, the King of the Rocks saw his chance to tear a bite out of the reach, so he gathered up a host of Westermen and came down upon us." The Osgraves were the marshals of the North March, so it fell to the Little Lion to meet them. It was the fourth King Lancel who led the Lannisters, it seems to me, or uh, mayhaps the fifth. Sir Wilbur blocked King Lancel's path and bid him halt. "'Come no farther,' he said. "'You are not wanted here. I forbid you to set foot upon the Reach.'"
2: Yeah, so, you know, earlier Emmett mentioned the uh, parallel between, you know, the sentimentality that Sir Eustace has for the history of House Osprey and the his sentimentality for, you know, the Blackfires and it, actually the action of what's happening in the Soren Sword. And there is this great moment when they have the showdown at the river where the sort of uh, deciding uh, battle or where the deciding uh sword fight will take place between Dunk and Lucas Longinch, where Sir Eustace says to Lady Rohan, Come no farther, you are not wanted here. I forbid you to set foot upon my lands. So uh there's a great little, you know, parallel within that story that um gosh, I really like Sir Eustace. Um, as kind of dopey as he is. He, he's Oh yeah, he's, he's a very rich character.
1: A- Probably He's one of the Dunkin' Egg characters who feels rich enough to be in A Song of Ice and Fire. for sure. He's
0: my favorite traitor in all of A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> <can> <laughs> well, that's something.
2: Well, I hope he enjoyed his Twilight years um, as the husband for Lady Rohan. He, yeah, who wouldn't? I mean, really, who wouldn't? So, lucky guy there. It all worked out for him. Uh, and... I hope it all worked out for you listeners. Uh, That was our 15 questions. So we are uh, bringing this quiz to a conclusion. Let us know how you all did. And I want to thank you guys, Jeff and Emmett, for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on and being with me today. Uh, So in... Why don't you take a few minutes now to, you know, let us know about Nauticast and, you know, where to find you and what you guys are up to.
0: Okay. Well, the Cast podcast is a weekly chapter by chapter podcast going through a Song of Ice and Fire, well, one chapter a week, like I just said. And primarily what we do is we do literary analysis, theory discussion, theory development, uh, foreshadowing, all the different things that Martin likes to embed in these chapters. So at the moment, as we're recording this, we are actually about just about to record our episode on A Game of Thrones, Catlin 8. So we are getting towards the end of A Game of Thrones, and we're about to progress into A Clash of Kings. And uh, Emmett and I, as loyal bannermen to King Stannis, not Lord Stannis, uh, are very excited to get to the Clash of Kings prologue, which is only going to be, what do we say, Emmett, like about 25 episodes long or so? for for the clash prologue.
1: I'm really worried about the episode on the clash prologue cuz even putting aside stannis you've got <laughs> dragonstone and Melisandre, and you're in, we could spend the whole time talking right. about patchface. Patchface is weird enough to talk about for a whole episode. <laughs> so I'm worried about that episode. <laughs>
2: oh dear. Well, yeah, that's it's a it's a big one. We're actually working on something with that ourselves. Ours will not be 25 episodes long. <laughs> So, but we look forward to hearing about that from you guys.
1: <laughs> so. Absolutely. So you can listen to the Nauticast on Podbean, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Acast. Anywhere you listen to your, your fine podcasts, you can hit us up on Twitter at IAF, or shoot us an email at IAF at gmail.com. Check out our Patreon also at patreon.com forward slash IAF. Patrons get special episodes. We do at least once a month on various topics. They get early releases of our regular episodes, show notes, a whole bunch of great things. So check that out. Uh, personally, you can hit me up at Quentin on Twitter.
0: And I'm at Brenda B. Fish on Twitter.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to the future for you guys. Uh, as you, like you said, you're uh, entering year two. And have you figured out how many chapters there are and how long that actually takes you?
0: It's about 450 chapters in total in A Song of Ice and Fire, from prologue to dance epilogue, and we assume by 2024, 2025, when we get to A Dance with Dragons, that um, the the Winds of Winter will be out because it's because of course it's coming out next week, right. so, so um, well. or the week after, right, right, that the <laughs> next week or the week after. So yeah. hopefully, we'll have the Winds of Winter out by 2025, right?
2: Hopefully, by the time you... Uh, we, we always used to think that uh, we were going to um, have the Winds of Winter before the fandom started clamoring for our Tyrion episode, but here we are, you know, six years later. And <laughs> so, uh, well, anyways, thank you guys for being here. Really super appreciate it, and I wish you the best of everything. Uh, thank you to everyone out there listening. Like I said, let us know how you did. And I'll be back soon with another regular episode of Radio Westeros. Bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
1: I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.